Hello everyone and welcome to the latest edition of London Calling, our very own property podcast brought to you by Corico Independent Mortgage Advisors. My name is Andrew Montlake and you can call me Monty and I'll be your host to guide you through and investigate the very latest in the world of mortgages, property and the general financial world. This is London Calling. This month we're looking at the specialist and buy-to-let world, which is often the home for some of the more weird and wonderful borrowing requirements that many of our clients have. It is a space that I perceive at least to have come alive again in recent months, certainly given the number of inquiries that we have seen passing through Corico recently. To help us make sense of this area and understand what is happening on the ground, we are lucky to have with us two very influential guests. First, we have with us the Sales and Marketing Director for One Savings Bank, home of brands such as Kent Reliance and Interbay, John Eastgate. Hello, John. Hi, Monty. And alongside John, we also have Corico's Director of our Specialist Finance Division and AOPB Board Member, Julian Ingle. Hi, John. Monty. Good morning. Um, well, I think, it's, first of all, it's important to try and define this area of the market, both from a, a lender's point of view and, of course, from a, a broker's client's perspective as well. So, John, as you are our VIP guest, sorry, Jules, um, maybe you can start us off. So, in terms of your point of view from a lending perspective, what are the main areas of business you're looking for, ideally, and, uh, and how do you see your place in the market? Um, well, as you've hinted at, I guess, by the, uh, the subject of the, the podcast, we're we are a specialist lender, uh, predominantly in resi and, and buy-to-let uh, markets, bit of commercial, bit of second charge as well. Um, I think that buy-to-let is quite a large market, and we only have a relatively small proportion of it, you know, we're certainly sub-5% of it. Right. Um, so to call the whole of the buy-to-let market specialist would be um, quite a sweeping statement, I suspect. Um, but we we serve markets within um, or sub subsectors of markets um, by essentially dealing with customers who, for whatever reason, mainstream lenders um, can't provide a service to. Okay. Uh, and if I'm honest, um, sometimes when I look at the quality of the cases that come through uh, our business, um, it's it's a source of mystery as to why. These mm. aren't more bankable uh, propositions for more more mainstream lenders. So, in your view, these clients are a, a good good clients. You'd lend these to are, them. These they're, are, they're good risk. These are really high quality clients yeah. coming through. I mean, that we we will in the buy to let market. We'll actively seek out professional landlords with substantial portfolios. Uh, we'll uh, we'll take on you know good chunks of those portfolios. We're quite happy for them to share those portfolios with other lenders. Um, uh, whereas we're aware that other lenders will impose limitations on numbers of properties or, or, or the extent of lending that they'll mm. offer. And it seems counterintuitive to not want to do business with people who have got demonstrable ability yeah, to absolutely. be successful in their chosen game. Yeah. Have you seen that get, get any, um, have you seen more inquiries come your way after sort of the regulatory piece that we've seen on the, on the mainstream side, um, I don't know necessarily that that it's been driven by any any changes in our business have been driven by regulatory changes. Um, I think because we we're in such because we have a relatively small market share, 
it would probably be quite a large leap to conclude that because of regulatory change here, the you know the, the cause and effect thing happened yeah. for us there. Um, I, you know, we've done a, there's too many other um, things that have gone on in terms of extended distribution and mm. just generally us getting better. Um, I think we've seen. Uh, very strong volumes of business coming our way. Um, we certainly see strong volumes of repeat business coming our way. So it's not at all atypical for us to see a borrower come to us for the first time with an existing portfolio with a number of other lenders. And then very shortly thereafter, they'll come to us for a second time and for a mm. third time and for a fourth time. And eventually we'll have conversations that will um, uh, suggest that we go back to the introducing broker and say, well, rather than coming to us on a you know, case by case basis. Why don't we just say that there's a facility? It's whatever yeah. size we deem to be appropriate for that borrower, and as long as you present cases that meet the criteria mm. that we'll set okay. down for you, then you know, just That's keep going to that limit. Okay, thank you, um, Jules. Where where does um, the the specialist team? Where does your team come out to play, and what what are the main areas that you're you're interested in from the specialist point of view? Um, I'm going to cover off a, a, a few areas on this, Mons, uh, John, because the specialist area is moving all the time. But that's, I'll tell you the areas that we work on. And I think it's probably easier to do, define it in terms of saying it's non-core and it's non-mainstream. So when yeah. I say mainstream, I mean Woolwich. Um, if you want a regulated mortgage, yeah. you want to borrow three, 400000 on your main residence, then you probably won't be pushed across into our team. Um, so the areas that we would focus on, as John's touched on a little bit, um, professional landlords is 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 um, or, or maybe come on to that point a little bit later in terms of defining a professional landlord. Yeah. Um, larger loans, and that also goes into what I would describe as the regulated arena of private banks, mm-hmm. um, and, and that is a definitely a specialist area that we spend a lot of time working Does with. Is that a million plus, two million plus? Again, it's moving. I'll, yeah. I'll come back to that point if I may, sir, um, just, just to finish off in terms of some of the areas that we work <laughs> on. We do a lot of development finance. You mentioned AOBP. We're, um, we, we, we closely monitor the bridging market yeah. very, very closely, but we use it more from a development perspective. So we work with a lot of property investors and developers in our section. Um, yeah, typically it's larger loans and it's people that are experienced in property, um, whether it's the structure, whether it's to, to non-natural mm. uh, lending. So what I mean by that is rather than individual borrowing, it might through an offshore company. So there are variations, but I mean, I think the simplest way to define it is, is something that is not mainstream. So yeah. if you wanted a mortgage to, to buy a main residence or a, a, maybe an incidental you know, one by to let and you walked into Halifax or something of that nature, then that's not the, that's not the place. Yeah. Okay. Anything else to do with property yeah. is us. And so, similar question, if may, have, have you seen your area that the amount of inquiries increase recently? Because I've certainly got the perspective that it seems like there's, the specialist arena is is, is um, rocking at the moment. I, I, is that, is that I, right? I, I, if or? I look back a few years in terms of what we thought specialist was, I mean, you touched on it a minute ago in terms of saying, is it a million, is it two million in terms of private banking sector? Yeah. It's a really good example of something. So what we've got is mainstream feeling more comfortable in certain areas. The reason we exist, uh, not, the bridging market exists in, it, in the way it does at the moment, is because the mainstream fear to go there or don't want to because there's too many moving parts. Yeah. 
too much risk, too much time to put into things. So these things have have been borne out, not because we came and devised that, but because the mainstream wasn't there. And yeah, I mean, I would say since MMR, April uh, this year, we've seen a massive increase um, in terms of uh, activity. Now, I wouldn't necessarily put that down to just the, the regulations on people to, uh, trying to uh, go in different directions. I, I think that's more to do with um, the activity in it. I mean, if I, if I look back three, four years ago, I felt that mainstream was going to come back very quickly or, or mm. quicker than it certainly has done it. And it, and it hasn't. And, and I could see the likes of bridging and, and, and those bespoke areas being here for, for many years for, from now. Um, one of the areas we, we touched on were professional landlords. Um, it's one of the big areas that I've been very, very disappointed with with the, the mainstream market yeah. um, and how they define what that actually means. If you want to discuss that, that's Yeah, me, I mean, actually, the, I was going to come topic. on to professional landlords. Um, so, uh, John, why do, you, do you think there's, Jules has said that there's a, a lack of lenders competing in the professional landlord space. If you, why do you think that is? We've, we're seeing a lot of, certainly... The mainstream lenders offering um, deals to buy-to-let landlords who, who want one, two or three properties. But if you're a serious professional investor, i.e. in my book, they know what they're doing, lenders seem a bit, uh, they, they don't really want to lend to those types of people. Uh, and, it, and it's completely counterintuitive because yeah. if, if you're not pursuing the professional landlord market, then presumably by definition you're after amateurs. You know, exactly. which, which seems yeah. completely ludicrous. Um, I, I guess if I just think about the kind of portfolios that we see coming through our business, what you tend to see with the people with larger portfolios is the, the type of property that they have within those portfolios is going to be much more diverse. So you, you come into, you know, you'll have people with HMOs, you'll have people with you know, uh, multiple flats under one freehold, mm-hmm. you'll have people wanting to borrow through limited companies yeah. because they deem it to be tax efficient, whatever the rationale might be. And when that kind of proposition gets presented to a mainstream lender, it, it's it's just too complex. I mean, they, their, their entire operations are geared around high volume, low margin. So as soon as you, as soon as you put something slightly complicated through that machine, mm. the machine gets jammed. And, you know, yeah. and, and then yeah. you know, mechanically, I guess, in a factory context, they would have to spend time repairing it. It's not what they're about. Yeah. They're quite happy just pushing nice, easy business through for relatively low margins. Whereas when you come to a specialist lender, the, the, the proposition there is that you'll have, um, you, you, it's, it's a manually underwritten um, uh, case. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people will invest the time in understanding what the risks and benefits are associated. But, you know, so, so all lending comes with risks, and sometimes the stuff that we get presented with will have some elements of risk that are quite clearly outside of the parameters that most other lenders might tolerate. However, invariably, you find that there are other aspects of the proposition that massively mitigate that. Yeah. You know, so, uh, you know, it's, you might be asked, for example, to to lend money. Uh, we might come back to this topic later. Um, you might be asked to lend on a, a, a property in central London where you know it, it's not a great yield, it's not mm-hmm. a great rental cover. But if you're lending to somebody who's got a net worth of several million pounds, then you know yeah. a bit of extra Is risk on the issue? rent, yeah. pretty hefty mitigation on the borrower. So. Yeah. Why so it's that blank sheet that? of paper underwriting perspective yeah, it is. that it is. you and guys have that the mainstream it's, doesn't. It's an evolution. Don't get me wrong. We, you know, we've we've you know we've gone on the the, the, the metaphorical journey to get to the point that we're at. You know, I think Kent Reliance and Interbay have matured as lenders over mm. the last couple of years to get to the point where we are much more adept at managing those kinds of cases. Um, I don't therefore think it's a it's a market that a lender could, you know a new lender mm. could immediately drop into and say. 
here I am, I'm a specialist lender. It doesn't yeah. happen that way. A couple of points for my yeah, response on, in terms of that. That was quite interesting what you were saying, John, about uh, you still have a, a rental calculation, underlying rental calculation. On, uh, it's one of the debates that we've had, John, in, uh, over the last 6, 12, 18 months, I guess, in terms of you know, can there be a product there for low-yielding properties, which most lenders want to um, lend against. So, i.e. London-based? I think so, or, or, or mm. what people describe as um, a better quality areas, I guess. It doesn't actually have to be London. It could be different parts of the country or a- any areas that have got good employment uh, where there is activity in terms of property uh, demand. And obviously London is, 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 is quite a, uh, an unusual um, part of the market, not necessarily because of the employment only, but because of the the foreign national influence that yeah. uh, London has. It's completely distorted over the last five years. Uh, if we were to look at the uh, rest of the parts of the country that have suffered, London has boomed in terms of property prices, but that isn't because of lending. That is for other reasons. There have been a lot of cash buyers in, you know, coming into, into the London market. And obviously prices have been driven up, and as a consequence, the, the general public living in, in London haven't been able to afford you know, those type of properties. So I'm, I'm intrigued in terms of, you know, is there a solution for low-yielding properties that aren't driven off just a... Because it, it's you know, could there be cash that's set aside to service debt if clearly the... the um, uh, I don't know. You, I mean, you, you talk, we talk about limited companies and, and putting bespoke examples together. Um I've not seen in the marketplace solutions for that at this stage. I have heard of of one lender who shall remain nameless who's thinking about actually if you deposit a year's um, rent on deposit with them. Then potentially they'll they'll look at something like that. Is that is irresponsible? That, is it? I mean, I, I you know we, we look at these things. It's certainly specialist. It's yeah. not um, for, for for the faint-hearted. And, and and the other point I just wanted to pick up on was um, that the, the, the professional landlords, uh, the um, and how we define that out there. Um, because I I when we I would say the vast majority of the clientele that we look after and professional animals tend to be borrowing an individual name. It's interesting what you're saying about limited companies. We do get that, you know, but I would say it's probably... still very few, actually, I would still say it was below 20% of the overall uh, buy-to-let portfolios that we see is is typically in the individual name and therefore by the very nature of it is not necessarily complex or the the property. I mean, I understand if you're going into the HMO territory that that could be complex, but let's say a straightforward buy-to-lets and you're still very limited out there in in terms of if, if, if a client's got more than 10 or 15 properties, the, the market shrinks rapidly in mm. terms of it. And I would you know, challenge people out there in terms of you know, why are we not, why have we not seen more innovation there? It can still be processed the same way. We're not asking for necessarily underwriting on, on John, the property. Any thoughts on that? Um, that was a lot of stuff, Jules. Sorry. <laughs> it's a, it's there were two Jules three stars. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 When he gets going, he's try, quite hard I'll try, yeah, he's quite, I'll, I'll try and remember them all. Um, why, why is there not more choice? Why is there not more lender choice um, for you know, people borrowing uh, with 10, 15, 20 properties? Um, I, I don't know. I, it, 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 it defies belief, to be brutally honest. Um, because by definition you're dealing with people who know what they're doing. I mean, you, you can't carry that level of commitment um, without having some semblance, and I've got to that level without having some level of capability about you. Um, lenders impose 
their own policy points for their own yeah. reasons. You know, I mean, most most of the you got to remember that most of the the volume buy to let lenders are parts of organisations where the dominant business is residential, mm. and and, it, and it, it might be that you know all lenders will will set limits in portfolios mm. for. In, in their overall book about the proportions of it that will be of any different kind of lending. And, and, and it's, it may well just be a function of, of addressing that particular requirement. So where would you de- how would you define a professional landlord? We were having this conversation on the way here, actually. So is it professional? What's that? In my book, a professional landlord is someone who that's their main job. That's, that's what they do um, day in, day out. Uh, is it is a better term experience? I, yeah, I would I would I would probably be a bit broader in the definition than than, than to say it's what yeah. you do because you know I've I've seen people with thirty forty properties who still have a, a day job doing something else, yeah. um, and in fact one of our one of our very substantial uh, borrowers who is without any doubt now a professional landlord, he was up to nearly a hundred properties before he gave up his day job. So right. I, I'm not quite sure. How effective he was in his day job, but he, he was. Uh, <laughs> Man, I can't imagine that. <laughs> uh, but but there we are. That's a lot of leaps um, to do. With. Uh, th- there's a part of me is slightly resistant to 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 fix a definition to professional because as soon as you fix a definition, then people start saying, "Well, he's not," and there'll yeah. always be there'll always be some circumstance around the borrower that, that that justifies you calling them what you want them mm. to be to meet the requirements for the product, if you like. Um, we tend to look at it as you know. We'll tend to look at it as on the basis of how many properties do you have, you know. And if you're getting into the th- three to five, then you then then you kind of start to tick the box for us. Um, but equally, we have to recognise that you know three three properties in Darlington aren't the same as one property in Chelsea, uh, and you know, so there's a there's a the subjective assessment is always made, um, which I, I think is quite helpful because I, I really don't want to be um, see us tying ourselves in knots with definitions and and and, and arguing that, that a borrower doesn't meet a definition because mm. of some relatively spurious and not particularly relevant point that we may have de- determined in, in the definition before. Mm. Um, the other point that you touched on was was um, uh, the whole point about um, capital values in the southeast. Lack of rent in well, we talked about London, uh, the southeast generally, and pockets elsewhere. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think uh, you know we we recognised that some time ago, probably eighteen months ago, we 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 first started making some level of concession, primarily around prime central London, but then we we subsequently expanded extended it to recognise the fact that um, in areas of high capital growth, the, um, the the yields aren't there to, so that you can to provide the rental cover that that lenders. Ask so mm. everybody needs to have a baseline policy, and ours, as you say, is one twenty-five at five percent, um, and I think that's a sensible place to be. It's it's the market norm. Yeah, you know, I, I yeah. think it provides a useful level of stress as well from a conduct perspective when you you know to 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 build a degree of tolerance to <coughs> to rate rises. Um, what about the idea of placing capital? Right, John's jump. In. I, I'm honest. I'm not a huge fan of it because. Um, well, the argument is, why don't you borrow less? Is it is it right for, is it right to borrow a million and put a hundred thousand on deposit, or is it better to borrow nine hundred thousand? I, I, it's it's it, it. You know, it's a subjective thing. You know, it's, yeah. it's you know, it's it's not it's not something that we've done a great deal of. Re- particularly recently, we we've kind of moved away from it. We're more inclined to 
um, see if we can lend what we want and be happy with the other risk mitigants. So not that cash isn't tangible, but there, there, there are other more tangible risk mitigants in terms of the quality of the asset, mm. the, um, you know, the rentability of the asset. You know, so mm. chrome and glass, don't really love it. Um, you take something classic in you know, a, a highly desirable part of London, not even it doesn't have to be highly. I don't mean highly desirable, as in you know Kensington and Chelsea. I mean rentable all day long kind of properties. Um, we'd sooner take that mm. and, and cut some. So I think I think where there is scope for for doing something um, that perhaps formalises some of the things that that we've done as as a lender uh, is perhaps to productize some of the flexibility that we've that we've shown on, on cases in the past. Okay. So by, by that I mean maybe have you know for your high income borrowers yeah sp- build a product that, that reflects their high yeah. income into the rental cover calculation yeah, which makes sense yeah definitely um can i just can ask I, another question uh, go on then i'll ask it back to you if you want to <laughs> i um it, it's interesting so, so how well you have regulation dictating such as interest only options and also affordability and, and obviously that's been talked about a lot in the last uh, six twelve months and you know, from private banks all the way through to, to, to the mainstream side of things. And then I, then I, then I look at the, the question that John poised in terms of, you know, why would you have a problem with a professional landlord? A professional landlord might have a, a higher risk appetite than a bank might have. Um, you know, is there a, a place where you start to dictate as a lender, saying, well, we'll lend you this, but you've got to take a fixed rate option? And, and certainly the stuff that we would look at in the commercial piece, which is the one area we didn't really talk about, so we were a large residential portfolio or commercial property, portfolio, a lot of the mainstream lenders and, and, and most would, would insist upon some sort of hedging or fixing of part of the portfolio. Yeah. And I've not really seen that, and I haven't seen that at uh, Interbay or Kent Reliance in terms of a request to do that, because it is, you know, we'll, we'll lend it to you, but we want to be able to know for the next three, five years that you're... You know, if, if, and, and, and you know what I'm saying? This is yeah, a regulatory yeah. market, uh, uh, but do you feel that, do you think that... Uh, that you might move into that space. I often feel that maybe we could stretch that leverage if we have it fixed for five years. I mean, obviously yeah, the environment, the environment at the moment is you know, who knows what interest rates are doing. Uh, uh, three weeks ago, interest rates were going up. Uh, yeah. Now they're now they're not. But uh, mm. um, the only context in which we've had that conversation, and it, and it is very much a regulatory one, is in the context of residential lending, where. You know, we're, you're, you're required to apply a stress rate, of course. But if if somebody's taking a fix of five years, then yeah, that re- then the stress rate effectively yeah. becomes an irrelevance, doesn't it? Um, we haven't had any conversations around doing that in the buy to let market. Um, we're comfortable with the stress rates that we have and the policy that we adopt. Um, and actually, I'm I'd be I'd, I'd be very cautious about getting into a world that might be deemed that I'm giving a borrower advice, be it. It's not dressed yeah, up as advice, yeah. but it's more of a yeah, you know the borrower will perceive yeah. it as a diktat. Yeah, you know, but you know, which might not be suitable. You know, we, as an organisation, we are not qualified mm. to give advice. That's that that's yeah. that's your job. And we're very happy. And we're very happy. Nice to push back. I appreciate that. It is. I I just you find it in the commercial space, and that was what I was saying. Is 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 that for loans above five million, a number of transactions at the moment above ten million, and uh, we'll lend it to you, but you've got to take 
you know, a third, a, a half to two thirds you've got to, to fix. Effectively, so we build... Again, it comes back to the stress. We uh, build it into it. the product design. If we're happy to put a product on the shelf and we put on the product, say it's yeah. a product for up to one million, it's up for th- up to three million, whatever the, whatever the product limit is, if we're happy to put a product on the shelf, then by definition, we're happy for you to have it. Yeah. Okay, thank you. Um, I'm just going to finish off on, on buy to let in this section uh, quickly. Uh, obviously, we've got the European Credit Directive coming in, in in 2016 and part of that catches so-called accidental landlords which at the moment at least are defined as those who uh, either let to buy or they've inherited a property. Um, what effect does this have John and, and uh, is it is it right to do that? How would you term an accidental landlord? Is there any such thing as an accidental landlord? Um, and is it a precursor to wider question of regulating the whole buy-to-let market? Um, right, okay. The question as to whether or not it's right is is almost irrelevant because it's going to happen. Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, yes. It's kind of, uh, it, it, there's not a lot of meaningful debate in there. Um, however, for the record, um, w- without necessarily homing in on, on accidental landlords, I actually am quite supportive of, of regulation in buy-to-let. Mm-hmm. Um, and... and and my primary driver isn't actually the accidental landlord scenario. It's the it's the it's actually the pension changes that are coming through. Yeah. So if you if you instead of you know if you're a pensioner and you don't want to buy a Lamborghini with your pension fund, and you instead think I know I'm getting rubbish returns on cash in my bank, mm. um, so I'm, I, I've seen property prices going. I'm going to buy a buy to let property, and your only experience of property up to that point is having lived in one. Um, then I think a degree of consumer protection is entirely appropriate. You know, because Very people point. will be getting into things that they don't know, and, yeah. and you, you know full well that that you know the the the, the weekend supplement finance pages will be full of, you know, yes. here, here's a buy to let <laughs> map of Britain showing where capital gains are the best and yields are the best. I've seen it already; it's a yeah. very common thing. Yeah, yeah. And if people start making short-sighted decisions and poorly informed decisions, then that's kind of a disaster yeah. waiting a lot to happen. they have done in the past like they, well I, yeah. I mean just the, just the dinner party buy to letters just <laughs> a, a piece of context that, that, that and I can't claim the authorship of this somebody else fed me this particular line if you look back at, at previous um, uh, scandals that the financial services industry has been associated with and I'll pick two PPI yeah and endowments at the time up to a point at the time people didn't think they were doing anything massively wrong. I'm sure there's a few people selling PPI to self-employed people who thought I got away with that one. But by and large, they were selling it to employed people who it was it was an, it was an additional earner for the bank that they were working with or the credit card company or whatever it was. But at the time, they thought it was fundamentally okay. Endowments as well, you know, was the way of, you know, backing your mortgage, wasn't it? Mm. And what's the lead time between the sales event and then the mis-selling scandal coming to to fruition 10 years give yeah. or take yeah. you're not far off yes probably not far so you know we, we we make we make we form a view in the short term about a particular issue in this case the regulation of buy to let and the industry is very good at saying oh no i hate it i don't want regulation you know it's like trying to stop the tide coming in to be brutally honest so why don't we just accept it's going to be think you know think longer term well actually if we didn't regulate this what are the consequences in five ten years time and if you think that What's PPI? Twenty-three billion pounds worth of cost to the financial service industry. Mm. That's that's quite a chunky sum of money, really. Yeah. And these things are quite, you know, powerful motivators to think twice before we resist some of the regulatory changes that come through. I think. Okay. 
Thank you very much. Uh, just a reminder, you're listening to London Calling, the property podcast from Corico Independent Mortgage Professionals. Um, I'm going to move on to... Um, where shall I go? Uh, let's just talk about the, the, a bit of the market in general, really. Um, so we've seen MMR come in and hot on the tail. We saw a, a so-called house price bubble in London, which caused a political response. And we've seen loan-to-income caps, various other Bank of England powers come into force, or, or at least the threat of them. Do you think this was a, an overly histrionic response by the, the, the political uh, bodies? Have, have they gone too far? With all of this, um, I think I think this was probably okay. I mean, I've, I've previously had issues with the level of economic intervention. Full stop. That yeah. there was a bit too much meddling. Sometimes, you know, things just have to be allowed to be a bit crap. You know, and and, and if the housing market yeah. and the economy was a bit crap, then there's a reason for that. Yeah. And, and kind of injecting drugs into it um, in the you know, form of you know, whatever economic stimulus it might be isn't necessarily a good thing because you know after the drugs comes the called Turkey, you know, and I don't think we know what that's going to feel like yet, quite yeah. yet. Um, but in terms of the loan-to-income caps, I, I can see the rationale for it. Um, I think if I did have a, a, a criticism of it, I'd, I, it would be that it's been a bit too broad brush in its application. Mm-hmm. You know, so uh, you know, so I think it particularly affects the high net worth sector, where you know, I mean, let's face it, it you know, if we, go, if we go back to another piece of regulation in MMR, MMR allows you to take a fundamentally different approach to the affordability assessment for a high net worth borrower. Yeah. But if that's then undermined by an LTI cap you have in your book, mm-hmm. then you, you lose that you lose that degree of flexibility that the MMR was designed to mm-hmm. to give you. And and um, you know, let's face it, you know, if if you're if you are, um, if you've gone through the credit crisis and you were very very rich beforehand, you're now only very rich. You know, so you can still kind of afford your mortgage. Yeah. You know, it's 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 the mass market that's been mm. you know massively impacted by the last six seven years, not the not the very very top slice. So I think a little bit more carver around some of that top mm. slice would have been would have been good to see. Jules, London bubble. I, I we 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 get a lot of stats and um, the the guys in the office do. A, great job, especially our MD and Mont, to, to, to collate information. Uh, we have over a hundred um, estate agent branches within central London that we get data from and we see when offers are coming in, we see the amounts and from all sorts of areas of finance, um, of, 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 of backgrounds, but essentially I would say it's zones one to four, I guess, mm. in central London. And I, 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 I think the... And, I don't want to get too too carved up in the political debate, but I, I think that clients and, and, and people within London are very, very reactive. Uh, we've, we've seen it in the last months in terms of how quickly a market can react. We had a ridiculous state of the market. And I think what, what it was, if I go back, um, if, if we're, we're, we're brutally honest, if we were about 12 months ago, 12 months ago, we started to see lenders starting to get appetite. Yeah. And again, I came back to part of we said about twenty minutes ago about London being um, full of um, cash buyers, etc. And then all of a sudden, what we had twelve months ago was the lenders actually starting to have a, an appetite of lending again. And we saw in January this year, for probably four, four or five months, 
a frenzy, a ridiculous frenzy in terms of, and that I think was just a reaction. And I think almost on its own, without MMR, without mm. all the other things, you, you you could see a halting in the marketplace yeah. because people were saying this is ridiculous. Yeah. And I, it's, it's really interesting I think just that to was see. Caused to, by sort of five years of pent up demand. It was, and, definitely. Yeah. So we, we can go out and borrow yeah. again now, and, and you know, the media was explaining it actually was that you're able to borrow again. Yeah. And so you, I think you had you know, the man on the street going out and actually borrowing for the first time for, for, for many, many years. And I think that, but no sooner had it started, and I, and I don't think it was just the MMR um, side of things, I, and, and you know, four and a half times, et cetera, the regulatory aspects that came in. I, I, I truly believe that it was the, the London, set, the, the, the market sentiment reacting quite quickly. Yeah. Saying, this is ridiculous. Yeah, um, and so I the think the market cor- correcting itself. It corrects, basically. and it does correct very, very quickly. Yeah, um, we've we've been concerned, I guess, since uh, July, August has been quieter, which we'd almost expect. We always expect September and October to be quite a, a full market, and it started really slowly. I mean, we, we're seeing indication already in the last week that actually. Uh, there is a strong return. So I, th- I think that's market sentiment. I don't think it's uh, uh, regulatory, although both will have an effect. And um, with the uh, election coming up, we've seen uh, a lot of parties, well, sort of putting housing um, at, the, at the centre of, of uh, a lot of the debate, actually. We've just seen the Lions report come out from uh, uh, the Labour side of things. What, what do you make of that? Do you think that, that the parties are taking house building seriously again? Um, do I believe a politician, I guess, is, is that question. Um, it's all about delivery, I guess. That's a tricky one. I was going to say, it is all about yeah. it. So for how many years has has uh, has it been recognised that the level of new builds in this country has been at, what, two-thirds of the required level? A long time. Um, to, to, you know, we hear now that there are, um, there are labour shortages in the construction sector, bricklayers in particular, I believe, there are material shortages, material, material, and therefore material prices are going up. It's not really going to help new build house prices, um, either of those factors. It's difficult to see how we're going to go from the whatever 100, 115,000 new starts to the 150 plus thousand new starts that the country needs to normalise the housing market under any political um, uh, banner whatsoever mm. in the short term. So um, I will reserve my judgment okay. suspend my disbelief or belief whichever <laughs> it is um i i can't I, I i find it difficult to think to see that in the t- even in the term of a parliament there's going to be any fundamental shift in in um in housing market driven by government action other than things like you know, extension of help to buy and and, yeah. and that kind of support initiative but that's that's not support for the supply side that's support in the demand isn't it and, mm. and i think that What's been notable is the absence of, of st- stimulus on the on the supply Absolutely. side. Absolutely. Um, I'm going to come back actually to 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 you guys specifically, John. And Kent Reliance has been well, certainly one of our success stories in the in the last few few years, really. Um, what would you put that down to, and what can we expect in the near future from from the group? What do you th- see as your main challenge? Um, what do I put it down to? I think. From the outset, two three years ago, um, we've had great clarity of purpose. Um, we've been very clear that we want to be uh, leaders in the markets that we choose to operate in, and we've consciously chosen to not operate in areas that we've been invited to, 
Yeah. Um, but we haven't felt that we've got a skill set to um, do a decent job in. So we've had great clarity uh, at the outset. Um, we've got some really good people working in the business. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a very good atmosphere um, amongst those people. The culture is very strong. Um, and we focused very hard on developing relationships with the intermediary community, intermediary community um, mm-hmm. because you know we are and will forever be a wholly intermediary-based lender. So if we don't have strong relationships with those intermediaries, then we're kind of biting the hand that feeds, and that's clearly pointless. Yeah. And how do you see the, the the market for the for the the rest of this year? Well, and, I think uh, which is know, nearly over actually. So it's, it's, maybe it's, going yeah, into next at year. the end of October, how do I see the market <laughs> for the rest of the year? Well, the Christmas parties that will yeah. stop a lot of it, obviously. Um, I think you know next year, year more next, of the same. Next or? year, I'm very bullish about yeah. it. I mean, if I if I look at what's you know where we've been in the in, in you know this year and the trends that we've we've seen during the course of the year, um, we are. We are in the position where we can be selective about the business that we take, you know, and still achieve the volume aspirations that we seek to 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 achieve. So, um, we're not seeing huge volumes of competition coming and taking the uh, the food from our table. Um, I, I know there's, there there is always every single year there is talk of twenty, thirty, whatever it may be, new entrants coming into market, and I'm sure that one day that will happen. Um, mm. But I think you need, as a new entrant in the market, there's a, there's a lead time associated with gaining some credibility um, with uh, with brokers. Um, we're in the fortunate position of having got there. We're not remotely complacent about it. We need to continue to work on it and make sure that we you know, maintain that mm. the position that we've, we've worked hard to get to. Um, but I'm not seeing huge competitive threat coming through. We're kind of back to your point about why aren't more people serving these professional landlord markets? Yeah. Well, well we've got know. fleet mortgages coming into the uh, coming into the market. Yeah, I, I, and you know, and 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 I, I wish them all the best. Um, you know, I think we've we've traded on our our own merits rather than necessarily worrying about what other people mm. are up to, to. You know, we focus on things like continuity of presence. Um, we've con- we, so we're, we're not in and out of the market like a fiddler's elbow, like some. Uh, so shall we say smaller lenders might have to um, do. Um, yeah, I talked about relationships. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and there's a there's a there's a list of product innovation uh, as long as your arm that that we are actively discussing and you know with a view to bringing that out in in 2015. So Good. you know you don't rest on your laurels. You yeah. always you're always looking at what the next thing will be because somebody if you get a good idea, let's face it, somebody will just copy it. So yeah, absolutely. Well, that's uh, that's refreshing to hear. Thank you, uh, Jules. Very briefly, you have got two minutes, and I mean two minutes. Um, <laughs> where do you see the, the the opportunities for for sort of the, the specialist client now? What's what, client? What, yeah. So so where are the opportunities? Where, where well, I, I, I still think the mainstream hasn't uh, adjusted to the development finance area arenas. The um, the bridging aspects. We spent a lot of time looking mm. at that, um, but I'm surprised that uh, One Savings Bank hasn't gone into the the bridging where some of the other smaller societies have. Um, and I'm interested. We're going to have to do part two. You should only do what you're good at. And there are some. And, and the reason bridging lenders are bridging lenders because they're good at it. And the reason we're not a bridging lender is because we haven't got the capability to do it. Now we fund a few bridging lenders. We provide them with a funding line, mm. so we basically outsource for their expertise. Yeah, and I think that's a that's a that's a good risk based way of going about it. 
we're not, you know, we, I don't want to let people down from a service perspective because then it gets, con- mm. you know, if we're, if we're not very good at bridging, it gets contagious across it's the other things. Say, it's actually quite a good response <laughs> that was. Well, that's uh, a fair point, uh, Jules. I'm, I'm not very good at specialist, and that's why that's why we have the specialist department. I pass it to you guys. Yeah, no, I mean, yeah, good response. You know, get, yeah. stick to what you're good at, and uh, absolutely, uh, if you if, you, if you if you're putting the money out uh, through various other bridges, that's absolutely fine. Um, I would to conclude. I guess you said for clients' perspective, there's lots of opportunities out there. I think um, uh, the going into areas uh, such as the, the zone three and four outwards. I think that's been uh, a lot of people have been saying zone one and two is you know, quite overheated. Yeah. I think the last uh, six twelve months, you've got political pressures or discussions coming up over the next six months. So uh, people are a little bit more concerned about uh, the higher end um, property value. We'll see what's going on. So a lot of lot of lot of the, the opportunities that we're seeing are zone three, zone four outwards at okay, the moment, where there's better value, yeah. arguably. So. Okay. Right. Well, thank you very much, everyone. Thank you, my guests, John. Thank you very much. Good to have you Thanks, here. Monty. And thank you, Julian. You uh, you spoke very eloquently. Well done. Very good. <laughs> That's good. Too many coffees. There's no so mumbling surprised. at all. <laughs> Too many coffees. Um, thank you all for listening. Uh, we'll be back next month with some more topical chat and discussions. As ever, if you have any comments or requests for topics to cover in future episodes, please feel free to contact us on Twitter. We're at Corico or through our website at www.corico.co.uk. Until next time, this is London Calling. Mm -hmm.